to This is Texas Wine. I'm your host, Shelley Wilfong. On this podcast, I take a look into the Texas wine industry and give you all the news, education, and information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. I'm not exactly a Texas wine insider, but I'm an enthusiastic consumer. This is episode three. On today's podcast, we'll cover the latest Texas wine news, including Lescalo, the new Texas wine with fewer calories. I'll share the top 10 tips for planning a wine trip to the Texas Hill Country. In our education segment, I'll talk about wine serving temperatures. And finally, I'm drinking the 2018 Lost Draw Kunwas from Farmhouse Vineyards. Now on to the news. The Fall Creek Lascalo is a new Fall Creek brand launching just this spring, and it's focused on lower alcohol, fewer calories, and carbs. Susan Aller talked about this new wine on a Zoom happy hour with the Wonder Women of Wine this spring. She said she's been wanting to release a wine like this for some time, and she finally convinced winemaker Sergio Quadra to make this wine. Lascalo is made from 90% Chenin Blanc and 10% Sauvignon Blanc. It's from Texas grapes, and its alcohol comes in at just 9.8%. There's no oak aging, so you get a very crisp and clean finish, and it has subtle floral notes, a lot of acidity, and it's a fruity, lovely wine, very easy drinking, although I haven't had it yet, but the tasting notes indicate that it would be. I'm anxious to try it and anxious to hear what you think if you've had it. Lascalo retails for about $18 and is available at select retailers and also from the Fall Creek Vineyards website. The Bonarigo family, the owners and operators of Messina Hoff Wine Cellars, are gearing up for the opening of Harvest Green Winery and Kitchen. That's a new location for Messina Hoff located in the greater Houston area. They're looking for an executive chef, general manager, and 80 to 100 other new hires. When complete, this location will include a tasting room, a wine bar, an open kitchen restaurant, a 2,600-square-foot covered patio, wine production, barrel room, and two private tasting rooms. It will be the winemaker's second-largest production facility with both vineyard harvesting and wine processing and aging taking place on-site. It sounds like a great place to showcase Messina Hoff's Texas wines. You can apply on the Messina Hoff website. Well, it's been a while since there's been any wine festival to get excited about, but the Texas Hill Country Winery's Wine Journey Passport event will take place in the Texas Hill Country from July 31st to August 16th. If you get a ticket, you'll get complimentary tastings at each of the participating 53 wineries and get discounts on bottles purchased, too. That's a 17-day festival and you'll get to visit up to four wineries in a day. Everything's tracked digitally, and the ticket price is $65 for a couple or $45 for an individual. You can start anywhere on the wine trail, and for a full listing of wineries participating, you can visit www.texaswinetrail.com, then select Passport Tickets and Wine Journey. I'll have links in the show notes. Please note that you'll still need reservations for parties of eight or more, and some wineries want reservations for six or more. Not all wineries participate, and opening hours may vary.
Now on to our main segment. I have just returned from a trip to the Texas Hill Country, and I'm excited to bring to you a look at some top tips when you're putting together your itinerary to visit the Texas Hill Country for a wine-centered trip. Putting together a thoughtful itinerary is a little challenging for a discriminating wine drinker. As I discussed in the last podcast, episode two, in a segment called Texas Wine in 10 Minutes, the Texas Hill Country AVA is just absolutely huge. In fact, it's the third largest AVA in the country, right behind the Upper Mississippi River Valley AVA and the Ohio River River Valley AVA. The Texas Hill Country AVA covers 9 million acres. So for this podcast, instead of trying to cover the entire Texas Hill Country AVA, which is way too much to really focus on for a trip, I'm going to just cover one small section of the Texas Hill Country AVA, and that's a 30-mile stretch of Highway 290 from Fredericksburg to Johnson City. This is often called the Wine Corridor or the 290 Wine Road. Now, to get your bearings, if you start off in Austin, right in the center of the state of Texas, and you drive due west for about an hour, you'll get to Johnson City. And then from Johnson City, continue driving west to Fredericksburg. And in between Johnson City and Fredericksburg, you'll find dozens of wineries, making this the most concentrated wine destination in the Hill Country AVA. The road passes through the small towns of Stonewall and High before you get to Fredericksburg. Alternatively, you can start in Fredericksburg and go east toward Johnson City. So if you're making your first trip to the Texas wine country, this wouldn't be a bad itinerary to follow. You'll have fewer options for lodging and dining in Johnson City, but a much slower pace and less traffic. Now, if you're flying in, the Austin and the San Antonio airports are both about an hour to an hour and a half from this area. There's also a small private airport in Fredericksburg for private airplanes, and you'll definitely want to rent a car. Because I'm recording this during the summer of 2020, the global pandemic has limited some wineries' full array of events, tastings, and tours. However, almost all wineries are open in some capacity and ready to host you. Reservations are more important now than ever, so definitely plan ahead. Food offering is very limited, but many wineries will let you bring in your own food. I've compiled this list of 10 things that you need to know as you start to plan a trip to fully explore Texas wines in the Texas Hill Country AVA. Tip number 10, lodging first. Although you could do this as a day trip from Austin or San Antonio, I'd recommend staying somewhere along the route so that you aren't spending all your time in the car. There are plenty of charming spots, whether your tastes run from the Victorian Inn to the modern farmhouse, and there's an option for every budget, too. Airbnbs are popular, and some wineries even have their own cottages to rent. Maybe you want to stay somewhere that allows you to walk to dinner. The Visitor and Conventions Bureau says that there's something like 1,200 B&Bs in the Fredericksburg area, and that seems about right. I'll list a few of my favorite options in the show notes. Consider where, where you'll find your meals as you're planning your lodging, too. Once I thought it was a great idea to stay somewhere really remote, but then what I didn't realize is that there was no place that would deliver food to me, and I certainly didn't want to drive 30 or 45 minutes to find my own food. Lodging can book out way in advance, especially when there are big festivals, so plan ahead 
And also know that there may be minimum stays of at least two nights, if not three, for holiday and festival weekends. Okay, then, with lodging taken care of, which winery should you visit? Well, how long do you have? You've got lots of choices. I like to vary my choices of wineries and have a lot of variety. I like to visit some large wineries and some small, some for quick tastings, and maybe some for more extensive tours or tastings that might include food pairings. You'll definitely want to find a winery or two with a great view, somewhere where you can sit out on the patio and just relax for a while. An in-town tasting room has a lot of things to offer, but there's just nothing like a tasting while you're looking out over the wide open hill country landscape. I'm also looking for wineries that are making wines from Texas grapes. After all, I'm there to taste Texas wines. It's not always easy to tell at first glance which wineries meet that criteria, though, so you've got to do a little research ahead of time. One way to guarantee that you're visiting a winery with a 100% Texas grapes track record is if they're a member of an organization called the Texas Wine Growers, but not all the wineries that are 100% Texas are members of this organization. For an upscale tasting with a nice view, check out the new William Chris Tasting Room. You'll have Tanat vines right outside the windows. On weekends, this new space is for wine club members only. They're one of the biggest producers of Morved in the nation, so you're sure to hear a lot about how this grape grows so well in Texas. I also like to visit tasting rooms where you can taste wines from several different wineries. 4.0 Cellars is one of these. I mentioned them in my very first podcast. It's a joint effort between Brennan Vineyards and Comanche, Lost Oak Winery in Burleson, and McPherson Cellars in Lubbock. You'll have an opportunity to try wines from each of these wineries. They've also got a special Texas wine and Texas cheese class that looks great. That's done by reservation. 4.0 is in Fredericksburg. Just a couple miles south of Fredericksburg is the newest collaborative space in town, the Slate Mill Wine Collective. It used to be a family-operated boutique winery called 1851 Vineyards, and now it's a custom crush facility that's shared by 10 wine brands. There's also a 35-acre estate vineyard there. It's big on education. If you go there, you can taste indoors or outdoors, and you can also tour their cellar space and their winemaking facility. A few of the brands you can taste there include Tatum, Dandy, C.L. Buteau, and Farmhouse. In Fredericksburg proper, one of your best bets on the weekends is Pontotoc Vineyards Wine Garden on Main Street. You'll swear you're in Austria by the looks of the stone-walled courtyard. Pontotoc has an estate vineyard in nearby Pontotoc, which is in Mason County. They're dedicated to using all Texas grapes. It's a great family operation. Another nice stop is the Perspective Cellars. This is a very educational place, and you can join them for a tasting of a flight of wines, one of which will be a Texas wine. They'll also serve an old world wine, a new world wine. You'll get to compare and contrast and learn about the regions where they all grow, the terroir, and uh, just learn about how the Texas wine compares, the difference in winemaking styles, and so forth. It's a great way to learn about Texas wine. and the perspective of the wines around the world. That's on Main Street in Fredericksburg. They also do all kinds of wine events. It looks so fun. Tip number eight, be open to some new varieties and some new winemaking styles too. Don't be surprised if some of the wines that you try aren't the same varieties that you usually drink. Although Texas's top red grapes include Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, the other grapes may be less familiar. It's fine to tell the person that's pouring for you that you're not familiar with that particular grape variety. 
It's fine to admit that you're new to Texas wines. They'll be thrilled to tell you about how this particular grape may be similar or different to what you've had before. Check out the article that I'll link in the show notes from Texas Wine Lover website, and you'll see what I've written before about what's growing out in the vineyards of Texas so that you'll have the lay of the land before you get here. Here are some other ideas about places you might want to visit. Many wineries along 290 will showcase Tempranillo, but for some of the finest, check out Pedernales Cellars in Stonewall. Tempranillo is really the backbone of what they do in their red wine program, and this year Pedernales even has a pet nat from Tempranillo. Their patio is a lovely place to spend some time. If you're into natural wine, you've got to try Croson Wines in Johnson City. It's a very small and intimate place, and Henry Croson, the person who started the brand, will probably do the tasting himself, and he's a lot of fun. Southhold Farm and Cellars is midway between Johnson City and Fredericksburg, and they also do wine in a natural or non-interventionalist way. If Rhone varieties are your thing, check out French Connection Wines in High. If you've been following Texas Wines for a while, you may know Benjamin Calais' other project, Calais Wines. His new effort with partner Sherry Patillo showcases Rhone varieties, including a Picpoul Blanc, a lovely Marsan Roussan Viognier blend, Syrah, and a single varietal Roussan. Tip number seven schedule your day and don't overpack your itinerary. Saturdays and Sundays are very busy, and you don't want to show up without reservations and expect a full tasting. They may or may not be able to fit you in. Also know that it's a very popular day for bigger groups. Many wineries have special events for their wine clubs on the weekends. Just plan ahead. I think three wineries in a day is a good number, and just be sure to map them out so that you're not backtracking. I like to start my day at the winery that's the furthest away from my lodging, and then I work my way back toward where I'm staying. Evenings are often slow out in the hill country, but that can be a good time to schedule a nice dinner or to find some live music. The Visitor Center has a printed guide for live music, or you can check out their website, and I'll link to that. Also be aware that some wineries aren't open at the beginning of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If it's been a while since you've been out wine tasting, you may be surprised to know that wine tasting is no longer free. You can expect to pay maybe $15 or $20 for wine tasting per person. This may be refunded if you buy a couple of bottles. Also, some wineries are child-friendly and dog-friendly, but not all are. That's definitely something you want to inquire about ahead of time. I just can't stress enough how important it is that you plan ahead so that you're not disappointed. Tip number six. There's so much to do in the Hill Country besides wine tasting. I'm holding an advertisement that was placed in the Fredericksburg Magazine that I picked up while I was there last week. And it says that the Texas Hill Country is voted a top 10 best wine region by USA Today in August of 2018. And this was placed by visitfredericksburgtx.com. And they say, we'll toast to that. And these are the things that they think that should be on your radar screen if you're visiting uh, Fredericksburg. Wineries and tasting rooms, museums and historic sites, peaches and wildflowers, German heritage, golf, sophisticated shopping, festivals and events, eclectic art galleries, cycling, hill country cuisine, and live Texas music. And their, their tagline is Texas heart, German soul. 
It's a lovely ad, and I, I pretty much agree with all those, although I haven't actually done the cycling or the golf. But otherwise, I think that that is a pretty great summation of all the things that this area has to offer. So let me just give you a few of my favorites. Okay, so tip number six. There's so much to do besides wine tasting. I like to take a half a day or maybe just even shorter than that and just do something besides wine tasting. For Fredericksburg, one of my top recommendations is to go see the emergence of the 3 million Mexican free-tiled bats at the Old Tunnel State Park. This is about 10 miles south of Fredericksburg, and it only happens from May through October. And it's really best to go on a Thursday through Sunday night. You can go down to the lower viewing platform, and there's a state ranger giving a talk about the bats and explaining what you're seeing and hearing and even smelling. I'm not normally a person who would go see bats and um, enjoy that. And this seems like a crazy thing to recommend during this global pandemic that is bat-related. but. It's a very cool experience, and my family still talks about it. So tickets are really limited right now because of the need to socially distance because of the pandemic, but it's something that's definitely worth doing. So don't miss out on that. And if you do go, there's also a very famous uh, restaurant. It's a super casual place called the Alamo Springs Cafe. So go out there, grab a hamburger, and then go see the bats. Shopping is also really fun in Fredericksburg and in Johnson City, too. Antiques are big, but there are also some cool, more modern shops that I hope that you'll check out while you're over there. I'm ready to move into Jill Elliott's Black Chalk Home and Laundry. They have the coolest vintage Turkish, Turkish rugs, super cool eclectic art and transitional furniture, cool accessories and gifts. Very neat store. There's also a kitchen store that I've been going to since my kids were really little. And thankfully, there's a candy store next door. So I send the rest of the family next door to the candy store. But the kitchen store is Der Kuchenladen. And they have an extensive bakeware selection and um, just tons of space to get lost. It's a huge store. It's, I think, 3,500 square feet of kitchen paraphernalia. So definitely check that out. And uh, along Main Street, there's some fun stuff. Um, Some of it is just kind of the stuff that you would expect in any tourist destination. Everything from a Christmas shop to a leather shop to some cute clothing stores. Um, There's all kinds of fun stuff. Coffee shops too. Another fun outing might be to go to Windmill Meadow Farm for a private farm tour and a floral workshop. The owners, Nancy and Paul Person, are master naturalists, and Nancy's also a master gardener, and they supply many of the area's top residential and commercial clients with cut flowers. They practice sustainable farming and pesticide-free farming, and I think it would be a blast to take a group of friends out for a floral workshop. That looks like a great time. So those are just a few things that you can do besides wine tasting, just for a little break to reset your palate, perhaps. Number five, tip number five is just getting around. Of course, you need a car. Um, Although there is Uber out there, you're probably going to want your own transportation at some level to get here and there. But you are going to want to designate a driver for your winery visits. One way to do that, of course, is to hire a car service. And there's a list of car services and shuttles that I'll link to. 
the speed limit on 290 seems quite high to me and the traffic moves really fast. And I've heard that the police have very little sense of humor. So please stay safe and use a designated driver. Tip number four, restaurants. Like lodging, you'll have a lot of choices and many of them are going to require some advanced planning and reservations. Of course, Fredericksburg has the most restaurants by far. In fact, there are just a few on the stretch between Johnson City and Fredericksburg. So one of my favorite stops along the way from Johnson City to Fredericksburg is the High Market. It's a very casual spot for delicious sandwiches and salads. You can either eat there on the picnic tables or you can grab something to go and maybe take a picnic to the LBJ State Park, which is just a few miles down the road. Another option for a lunch along the way, if you want a more sit-down experience, is Stout's Trattoria, which is at the Grape Creek Vineyards Winery. Um, And that's another option for a meal on the road. As far as dinner goes, I have to give a shout out to the wonderful wine program at the Cabernet Grill in Fredericksburg. They've been recognized as a Texas wine champion by the Texas Department of Agriculture and by Texas wine ambassador Jason Heisall. That means they've got Texas wines by the glass and by the bottle. And in the case of Cabernet Grill, they've got a 100% Texas wine list. And what a wine list it is. They've got about 10 whites and about 10 reds by the glass. They've got four rosés by the glass. And they also have three different flights that you can try. They've got a flight of three Texas Tempranillos, a flight of three rosés, and a flight of three Viognier's. And they've got an extensive bottle list, dozens and dozens of Texas wines. So check that out. The food's really exceptionally good, too. Fredericksburg has a strong German influence, and the top-rated German fusion restaurant in town is Otto's. Now, if you don't have a reservation, you should get on the waiting list and then venture down two doors to La Bergerie, which is a little super cute little house that's a retail shop, and they have charcuterie and cheese, and it's a wine bar where you can wait for your reservation. It will be time well spent. It's a super cute little spot. The culinary scene, of course, goes beyond what's happening at restaurants. And if you're so inclined, maybe you would like to take a cooking class and shop the huge array of dips, spreads, sauces, and salts at De Peach House. That's a Fisher and Weister store. And there's one on Main Street in Fredericksburg, but there's another that is about a mile and a half south of Main Street, and it's located on a lovely lake, and it's worth taking some time to go there not just for wine tasting, but to explore the grounds, do some tasting and shopping. And if you plan ahead, you should go take a German cooking class there or whatever other kind of cooking classes they're taking. You can do that as a, as a group with others or maybe set up something private for your group. My tip number three is to always check the local events calendar. I think this is such an important thing that sometimes people fail to do when they're visiting a new place. It may be that there's a huge festival going on, the Wine and Food Festival, a Peach Festival, Wildflower Festival, but it may be just a smaller event at a local winery. It may be live music, but it's often something that's worth checking out. Start by looking at the Convention and Visitor Bureau website, but then look at the specific winery websites after you decide what wineries you're going to, or maybe even before you've made your choice. See what's going on at that winery. Look not just at their website, but at their social media. On my recent visit, I picked up a schedule of live music at the Convention and Visitor Bureau, and it included not only what was going on in Fredericksburg, but also live music venues across the region. 
Also consider when is the farmer's market? When are trade days and antique shows? Maybe it's the weekend of a big wine festival. Of course, COVID has messed up the timing of a number of these things. But currently, we do still have one big festival coming up the third weekend of October. And it's the Fredericksburg Food and Wine Fest. Fingers crossed. And if you find yourself visiting during wildflower season or peach season, well, consider yourself lucky indeed. Now, tip number two is to consider a wine club membership. Even if you can't visit the region regularly, if you love the wine, becoming a wine club member can give you some serious discounts and access to wines that you wouldn't otherwise be able to buy. It's common for wine club members to get discounts of up to 20 or 25%. And if you're able to visit the winery more frequently, then you can also take advantage of invitations to pickup parties or winemaker dinners, free tastings at the winery, and more. Wine club members are also in the know about, sw- about what's going on at a winery, and their feedback helps guide future events and maybe even wine styles. Texas wineries need their wine club members now more than ever. With restaurant sales down and the economic landscape so uncertain, Texas wineries need the security that guaranteed customers provide. And as for me, I love feeling like part of the family. Tip number one, have fun and expect to be delighted. The people working in the Texas wine industry are really good at their job. They're going to be working hard to help you find a wine that you love. They'll provide you with as much information about Texas wine as you want. And you're likely to be sitting across from somebody with a really interesting story. They're not just there to pour your wine. They're there to tell you a great story and give you some education. Don't miss the opportunity to find out what got them interested in Texas wine. There's tremendous talent working in our wineries. People have come to Texas from all over the world. It's an exciting, rapidly evolving industry. It's a beautiful country, and it's such a fun place to visit. I hope you have a great trip. Thank you to Tom, Graham, Henry, and Victoria for your hospitality during my visit to the Hill Country last week. I had some great winery visits, and it was certainly a pleasure to gather information for this podcast. Listeners, let me know what trip you have planned or if you need recommendations. I hope you have a trip coming up to the Texas Hill Country, or maybe you've got another Texas wine region in mind. To find out what wineries are closest to where you live in Texas, check the maps on the Texas Wine Lover website at www.txwinelover.com. And as always, check out my show notes to get the links to the places I've mentioned in this podcast. In our education segment, I'd like to talk about wine serving temperature. Like so many things in wine, wine serving temperature is somewhat a matter of personal preference, but there are some general guidelines that you can follow when you serve wine. All of my nicer wines are stored in my wine refrigerators that are set to 55 degrees, and then I either chill the wine further or leave it out at room temperature for a little while to get it to the ideal serving temperature. And I find that this one thing makes so much of a difference in how I enjoy my wine. For me, 55 degrees, the temperature of my main wine refrigerator, is the perfect serving temperature for my lighter reds and my heavier whites. And I often drink rosé at this temperature too. So for whites, when I talk about a heavier body white, maybe a Texas Roussan would be a good example of that. 
As far as a lighter red, I'm talking about a Senso, a Sangiovese, or a GSM blend. A light red is one of my favorite Texas wines. And as someone who's sensitive to high alcohol wines, serving right out of the cooler at 55 degrees is just perfect for me. So if you ever smell a wine, a red wine in particular, and it burns your nose, or if you ever get a burning sensation as wine goes down your throat, you may be sensitive to alcohol, as I am. So if you don't have a wine refrigerator, what you can do is put your wine bottle that's at room temperature into your kitchen refrigerator for maybe 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, or into an ice bucket for 10 minutes um, just to, to chill it just a tiny bit. So a light white wine might be something like a Texas Sauve Blanc, a dry Blanc de Bois, a Riesling, pretty much any white wine that hasn't seen oak. Those should be served a little bit cooler, so a little bit cooler than my 55 degrees wine refrigerator. So when those come out of the wine refrigerator, I'm going to put them either into an ice bucket or into my kitchen refrigerator for 15 minutes to 30 minutes and get those just a bit cooler. Rosés can be, can I can do the same with a rosé, although sometimes I do just drink them at 55. Now for a fuller body red, ideally I'm going to serve those around 60 to 68 degrees this will be your Tanat, your Morved, Alianico, or maybe a, a super heavily extracted Tempranillo. I'm going to take that out of my 55-degree wine refrigerator and just set it out at room temperature for a short time to allow it to warm up a bit, maybe for 30 minutes. And I may even decant it during that time into a decanter or just a plain old pitcher. Now, sparkling wine, I want to serve it quite cold, and I'm going to put it right into an ice bucket. If I serve wines too cold, the problem is that it's going to mask the wine's aromatics. So if people often think that they just really can't identify anything on, a, on the nose, if they put their nose into a glass of wine and smell nothing, oftentimes the wine is just too cold. So it's interesting to notice how a wine changes as it warms up in the glass. The proper serving temperature for a wine really helps a wine show its best qualities. If you want to be super specific, you can buy a bottle thermometer. And although I have one, I've never used it. You'll notice that there's not a, any wine that's ideally served at about 75 degrees, which is the current temperature of my house right now. So every wine would benefit from a little chill. If you're not sure what temperature is best for your wine, try it at various temperatures and see what you prefer. So, like so many things in wine, there's really not a right or wrong answer. But generally, a little chill couldn't hurt you. So here's what I'm drinking. After a great visit at Lost Draw Cellars last week, I picked up the 2018 Lost Draw Cunois from the farmhouse vineyards in the Texas High Plains. Cunois is grown primarily in the Rhone Valley in France, and it's often a blending grape. It's kind of lightish purplish red, and it has a really spicy characteristic on the nose. And it kind of reminded me of a Cru Beaujolais. It's light-bodied and Speaking of wine temperature, it's so great when it's chilled a little bit. It has a very nice combination of floral and earthy and fruity characteristics. It's got good acidity, very light tannins, and moderate alcohol. 
The Cunois grapes for this wine were grown out in the Texas High Plains at farmhouse vineyards. Cunois is often used in rosé production, and in fact, L'Austral does have an excellent rosé made from Cunois, but this is actually a red wine, which is a little unusual. It's usually not bottled as a single varietal wine, but I thought this was delicious, and so I had to buy some. This wine was aged in... Um, it's well it spent part of its life in neutral oak, and then it was finished in a concrete egg. I cannot wait to drink some more of this this summer, lightly chilled by the pool. And I'll go ahead and say that this style of red wine, served slightly chilled, is one of my very favorite styles of Texas wine. It is so easy drinking, fruit forward. It's light bodied, low tannin, aromatic, refreshing. There's so much going on aromatically. And it doesn't hit you over the head with power or with alcohol. And with when Tom at Lost Straw said that this style is their signature style of wine, I decided right then and there that I needed to join the wine club. So I'm the newest member of the Lost Straw Wine Club. I'm just so excited about this style. And it, it's not a simple wine by any means. It just doesn't have to be so intensely powerful. It can just be elegant, which is beautiful. Um, if there's any way that I can help you find a Texas wine to drink, please reach out to me. Contact me on social media or by email and let me know what you're looking for. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on all the socials, and my email is TexasWinePod at gmail.com. Also, if you go to my website, you can subscribe to the newsletter. If you do, I'll email you a fun guide that includes my top 10 Texas wine wins during quarantine. It'll give you a list of 10 great ideas of Texas wines to try. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode and that it made you thirsty for some great Texas wine. Please subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app. That way you won't miss an episode. Tell your friends too. Since I'm a brand new podcaster, I need your help getting the word out. I'd love for you to share the show on your social media and tag me if you do. I'm going to shout out the people that share the show during the next episode. My show notes are on the website www.thisistexaswine and that's where you'll find links for the wineries, the stories, and other resources that I talked about during the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Cheers, y'all.